most important amongst all of them is public safety. That is the that is the leading consideration in terms of how to how to uh, deal with offenders, uh, how to make sure that uh, uh, at the end of uh, their term, if they are to be eventually uh, released, uh, that they are are. Uh, uh, prepared to re-enter society in a way that will keep society safe and not result in them immediately reoffending. That is Ralph Goodale, Corrections and Safety Minister, commenting on the issue of the day, which is what the hell's happening with our correction system? Because I think a lot of people are starting to say it ain't working. Because now we learn that you know, as soon as two years into a life sentence for killing someone, a convicted killer in Canada can actually start to get upgrades to facilities with more freedom and privilege within two years. So within two years, get that, a convicted killer can move to a a minimum security prison. These are these open concept type facilities. So you've got no fencing, no guards, get these kind of cushy, they they almost look like a dorm where these people just hang out. Almost 30% of those convicted of first or second degree murder are now serving their sentences in these kind of loosey-goosey facilities. I mean, you take a life, you destroy a family, and just like that, you're already getting your second chance within such a short time. I mean, certainly those that are, you know, who are left behind, they don't get a second chance. These days, the victims in this country of violent crime are simply just getting kicked around again and again and again. And It's gotten worse, I think, under this government, but certainly they're not the only one because this has been going on, I think, for a long time. It's just that our correction system is moving in the wrong direction. I hope that this is an election issue because for justice to be done, it has to be seen to be done. And since we saw Tori Stafford's face in the news and heard that her killers, both of them now, just six years into sentences, five years into the sentence, have been moved to, you know, healing lodges and mediums, uh, medium security facilities. I mean, I don't think anybody knew just how lax things have started to go. I want to bring Dave Perry into this conversation. He's a former homicide cop, worked on some of the biggest murders in Toronto uh, with the Toronto police. But now he is in private work doing um, investigation work for Solutions Network because he's had the task of, of seeing what these families of violent crime go through face-to-face. He joins us now. Dave, you've done an awful lot of uh, homicide cases, and, and part of the job that you have uh, or would have had is knocking at the door um, and, and, and essentially telling someone the worst news of their life. Take me through what that's like um, and how it's received and what these people go through. Well, it's heart-wrenching. Uh, it was always my worst day at work when I had to deliver that kind of a message to a family. So I can only imagine what it was like on the receiving end uh, for, for a victim, a victim's family to receive that kind of a news from a stranger, from a police officer at the door. And uh, I always found it interesting how, as the process proceeded through the justice system, how families were often re-victimized by the entire system through court and through sentencing. And, and now, as we're hearing quite frequently through... Uh, people being transferred into minimum security when they should be serving life in, in a maximum security penitentiary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think people understand, you know, really 
once someone's arrested, they get all the headlines. You know, it's always the the accused that gets the headlines. And and the people left behind are an afterthought. You know, once the, the media goes away, they're still left to deal with this. And I think the, the little relief they get when the gavel, you know, hits the wood and they are being sent away, they go away from the court system thinking, okay, now I can go heal. But really, it's the system as we're learning, it's kind of a mockery. It really is. There's, I mean, there's different stages of closure for victims' families. And, you know, I can remember vividly, and I'm still in touch with some of the families that I dealt with over homicide cases, uh, how desperate they are to, to latch on to you as the yep. investigator because you're the best hope of them having some type of closure to figure out who did it and why they did it and how did they die and, and all of those horrible things. And, and once you do catch the person, there, there's sort of a, what I would call a phase one closure period where they're starting to feel some relief. But, of course, then you start down the court process, and that opens up all of those wounds wide open. And they have to go through that ordeal and sit in court and listen and know the risk that even though you have a strong case and everybody in the room knows that they're the one responsible, that a jury or a judge and jury could uh, acquit them and they could be walking out free the very next day. So it's it's terrifying. So, Alex, let's say that we are successful and we get a conviction and they're given a life sentence. For for most Canadians, they, they believe that a life sentence is for life. And, of mm-hmm. course, we know it's it's 25 years before they can be eligible for parole. And quite often after 25 years, they are paroled. So they start to, you know, realize that all of these things are about to happen or potentially could happen. And then, you know, they hear about these transfers to, you know, medium or minimum security facilities. And it's just it's just a mockery. I think it's an absolute disgrace. If you take a human life in Canada, Mm -hmm. you should do life in in prison and you should do hard life in prison. And and by that, I don't mean the old traditional things that we we all heard about in, in in the 40s and the 50s, but. I think you should be in, in a, a maximum security facility where you have no chance of escape, where you're treated differently because of what you did, and that you've got no uh, no prospect to escape or, or to even to harm victims' families through the very notion that you're walking around uh, almost under house arrest in some of these facilities. Yeah, but but you know to read the report that we we got today to suggest that you know after two years it's very normal, uh, even for the worst of the worst to to have the opportunity to go to a medium security. There will be some who say it doesn't matter because there's you know there's there's razor fencing. They're still behind uh, uh, bars, whatever. That's not the point. I mean, the, the why does that matter that they go into maximum? You know, it it should only matter that they are going into maximum. It shouldn't it shouldn't matter that they've had two years of good behavior. You really don't have much choice. You're you're in a prison. So if you don't have if you don't have good behavior, then it's off to some other level of security for you or some some uh, appropriate punishment while you're in the system. But the the mere notion that somebody can violently take somebody's life and you know all the things that we've both covered over yeah. the years in terms of domestic homicides, child homicides people who were just motivated out of pure greed, let alone anger, and somehow in two years that they've dis- displayed enough good behavior to, to somebody that we can justify sending them to a, a medium-level security system. And, and you, I think that's what would shock most Canadians if they saw the video and they realized just how low the security is in some of these facilities and how much freedom these people actually have. It's just wrong. I, I get it when you have a violent offense that's not a homicide, that's not a sexual assault, that perhaps, uh, you know, there's, a, there's a, a reasonable prospect of rehabilitation that we want to, at some stage of a prison term, 
start to normalize their life by allowing them to have some of those freedoms. I think that's what the system was set up to do. But for these animals that commit violent homicides, I'm sorry, you'll never convince me on any level that it's appropriate to move them to a medium security two years or 20 years after the sentence. They should stay in maximum security and be treated appropriately. Well, right. But but we seem to be moving away from that. Either that or I've just not taken notice, which I don't think I would not <laughs> notice. Something. Like We seem to be moving away from that because, you know, Paul Bernardo is the name we always hear. He's sitting to my knowledge, uh, in a maximum security, which is exactly where he should stay, and no one thinks twice about it. But you get a guy like Michael Rafferty, who's every bit as bad as Paul Bernardo, and yet within six years he's already been moved to a medium security, so it seems that they're working to get him out because that's what corrections keep saying is, well, we have to start you know, preparing them for the day that they may get released. Well, he shouldn't be even considered ever for release. So that they're even thinking of it that early, to me, suggests that we are really moving away from the justice side of this. Yeah, we've lost our ways with our justice system in in a lot of areas, including corrections. And uh, Rafferty is a classic example. That guy should be sitting in an isolated cell and rotting. Uh, that's That's what we do with child killers or what we should be doing with child killers. You know, I investigated uh, the murder of Holly Jones back in 2003, and when we arrested Michael Breer, I checked in with him once in a while and it gave me mm-hmm. great delight to tell his family that he was in a cell right next to Paul Bernardo in Kingston, and he was refusing his exercise days and his showers days. So he was doing what child killers should be doing. He was sitting in a cell and, uh, you know, having having very little access to all of these freedoms that you get in, in sort of medium security setting. But I'm not even sure where he is now since they shut down Kingston. And who knows, he could be in some medium security facility. <laughs> and, and that man should never see the light of days. We all know what he did to that poor little girl. And, you know, he should be sentenced to life in prison, which means life. He should never have the freedoms that uh, we would expect of people who have done our lesser crime and are, are up for rehabilitation. You know, we... We wouldn't be talking about this if it weren't for Tory Stafford, were it not Correct. for the fact that, that we learned about Terry Lynn McClintock. And since then, it's like we've learned about Elizabeth Wetlaufer, Michael Rafferty. We're learning now through these reports that there are many, many more violent offenders in this country who are, are living in minimum security. Should this be a, a, an election issue? It should be an election issue. And it's, it's, you know, it's always been that argument that I, I tend to go on to the right side of, which is sometimes people who are making these decisions in our justice system, like judges, should be elected officials, not appointed, and they should be held accountable for when the, the public is upset like they are with this case, with, with poor Tory and what, what happened with her two accused killers. Uh, everybody is upset about that. Mm-hmm. The Clintic, I almost get it. Uh, it would be a long conversation, Alex, but I almost get it uh, with him. On the other hand, Rafferty. I don't get it. <laughs> but uh, yeah. We, yeah. You know, and I when I say almost, that's it's a stretch for me too. So please don't take that as as I think uh, it was right. But on him being the the true aggressor on that whole thing, and he was the one that was intent on the the, the sexual purpose of that homicide, and he was the the orchestrator and leader. That guy should be in maximum security yeah. till the day he passes, and and that, I think that would make all Canadians happy. Yes, it will. Dave, thank you. I appreciate your insight. Anytime. That is Dave Perry. He's got an awful lot of um, experience with this. I mean, the one big case, of course, for him, one of many, Holly Jones, uh, the young girl, abducted and raped and mutilated as she was walking her little friend home in Toronto. Not so long ago, Michael Breer was the killer. And, you know, he makes a point. Like, where is Michael Breer today? He he, He pleaded out to that case of guilty. But where is he staying?
you know? Again, another guy that probably has no deserving of being anywhere but maximum, but where is he? Maybe it's time to look what healing lodge he's gotten himself into. Here on Point, I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio.